morning, and if you would open your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 19. Uh, today, I'm preaching on a continuation of last, uh, last week's uh, passage. We had to break them up just because it was such a large section. Uh, Pastor Laramie preached on the beginning of chapter 19, and he spoke about conflict resolution, and I am going to preach on the end of chapter 19. Uh, but I will go back and, and, and do a, um, there are some, some elements of last week's sermon that I have to incorporate into mine to uh, kind of finish this off and bring it to a conclusion. Uh, but our passage is 2 Samuel chapter 19, uh, starting in verse 16. It says, And Shimei, the son of Gera, the Benjamite from Beruham, hurried to come down with the men of Judah to meet King David. And with him were a thousand men. I'm sorry. I, yeah, started a wrong section. Chapter 19, verse 31. Verse 31. Now Barzillia the Gilead had come down from Rogelim, and he went on with the king to the Jordan to escort him over the Jordan. Gilead was a very aged man, 80 years old. He had provided the king with food while he stayed at Mahanaim. For he was a very wealthy man. And the king said to Barzillai, Come over here with me, and I will provide for you with me in Benjamin. But Barzillai said to the king, How many years have I still to live, that I should go up with the king to Jerusalem? I am this day 80 years old. Can I discern what is pleasant and what is not? Can your servant taste what he, see, what he eats or what he drinks? Can I still listen to the voice of singing men and singing women? Why then should your servant be an added burden to my lord the king? Your servant will go a little way over the Jordan with the king. Why should the king repay me with such a reward? Please let your servant return that I may die in my own city near the grave of my father and my mother. But here is your servant, Kimham. Let him go over with my lord the king and do for him whatever seems good to you. And the king answered, Kimham shall go over with me, and I will do for him whatever seems good to you, and all that you, you desire of me I will do for you. Then all the people went over the Jordan, and the king went over. And the king kissed Barzillai and blessed him, and he returned to his own home. The king went on to Gilgah, and Kimham went on with him. All the people of Judah, also half the people of Israel, brought the king on his way. Then all the men of Israel came to the king and said to the king, Why have our brothers, the men of Judah, stolen you away and brought the king and his household over the Jordan and all David's men with him? And the men of Judah answered the men of Israel, Because the king is our close relative. Why then are you angry over this matter? Have we eaten at all? at the king's expense, or has he given us any gift? And the men of Israel answered the men of Judah, We have ten shares in the king and in David. Also we have more than you. Why then did you despise us? Were we not the first to speak of bringing back our king? But the words of the men of Judah were fiercer than the words of the men of Israel. That is the word of the Lord. Amen. I uh, accidentally started in the wrong side on the wrong passage because that's how far I'm actually going to back up to, uh, to uh, catch us up and, and talk about 
what's going on this week. But as far as an introduction, so to speak, to this sermon, uh, I, I'd like to point your attention to the fact that as David returns to Jerusalem, he encounters several different types of people, and these people come and, and hurry to speak to him, and each one of them have different motives. They have different goals in mind. Now, one thing about motives is that uh, motives teach us a lot about who people are or what kind of person you are. The difficult thing about motives is that they are hard to determine because they're personal. Each one of us, they're personal, meaning they're private. Each one of us has our own motives for doing what we want to do. Uh, just because we see someone do something that is good or just because someone does something that is good to us doesn't mean that they have the right motives. And we can flip it on the, the other side too just because someone seems harsh with us um, doesn't mean they are meaning to be ugly to us. Uh, sometimes someone who seems harsh with us is doing it out of love and grace, and it's something that we need. Uh, so motives are very hard to determine because they're personal. So that means motives are hidden unless they are revealed by the person who has them. Right? So we're, we're limited in that we do not know the motives of people. Sometimes you come to know somebody and you can pretty much determine their motives uh, because you have spent so much time with them. Just like a husband or a wife or a child, uh, you have that close relationship with that person. So you, you, you look back at that, your experience with that person and you say, okay, well, I, I can kind of understand where they're coming from. But even that is limited. But God's omnipotence, he can determine motives or he can see our motives and for our benefit the motives of these people are laid before us in this scripture so that we can gain some valuable wisdom from above and uh, we can learn a spiritual lesson the fact is is that God has given us discernment and discernment is understood differently by different people some see it as a mystical thing where we have this sixth sense where we can see things that nobody else can see and uh, that it's only spiritual in nature and there's nothing that that there's nothing that we have gained from our experiences from the past now when we look at discernment discernment is both spiritual and physical what i mean by that is that it is discernment is based upon what you've been through the wisdom you've gained from what you've been through but it's also the things that god he reveals to us through his word, through his wisdom. You add all that together, and then you become a good judge of character or just a good judge overall. You're able to see a situation, and combining your wisdom and God's wisdom, you're able to come to a conclusion, a solid conclusion as to what that thing is. So he has given us discernment, but it doesn't matter what you've been through, how many years you've lived on this earth, um, how great of a person you are, it's, our discernment is limited. We get things wrong all the time. We may look at somebody and we may judge them and we may think we know them, but yet we got it all wrong, either good or bad. We may look at a situation and we've been through this situation before. We give somebody else advice about the situation and it's not that great of advice. Or we make the wrong decision in a situation we've already been in. There's a lot of examples that I can give you, but the fact is, is our 
discernment is limited. Now, God's knowledge, on the other, other hand, is unlimited. He is not like us. The Bible says that his thoughts are not our thoughts. Neither are his ways our ways. And listen, this is not just anybody saying this. This is what the Lord has declared. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, the Lord says, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. He sets himself apart from us. He puts himself above us because he sees our actions and he knows our motives. In other words, he knows our hearts. Now, before I get into the heart of this message, I'd like to ask you a question, and, and, and I'd like for you to be thinking about that question as we move along. I'd like to ask you why, and, and of course this is for those who consider themselves believers here, but why are you a believer? In other words, what are your motives for following Christ? I think that's very important for us to think about as we march along, and I'll revisit that question at the very end. When we look at that question, it's a good question to ask ourselves and to really think about. And that's a question that requires us to really be introspective about that, to look within and to see, to analyze why we do what we do. Because there's only one answer that really matters as to why we are followers of Christ. And that's what I'd like to take a look at today. Before we can start in verse 31, I'd like to back up to verse 16 that I mistakenly read at the very beginning. My motives were to read from verse 31, but as I said before, I am a limited preacher. Now, verse when we start off at verse 16, there are two, two people who come to David and approach him, and they are seeking something from him. And these two people are Shimei and Ziba. Now, Shimei or Shimei or in Ziba, I'm, I'm going to label them as the ashamed ones. They are the ashamed ones. This is from 16 to 23. We see that Shimei is a reminder that our sins always come back to visit us. Always. We, we do not get away with anything. Uh, he, he cursed David as David was driven out of Jerusalem. By Absalom, and we, if we back up a little bit longer, uh, a little bit further, uh, chapter 16, verses 5 through 14, you can see the story about that. I'll give you the Cliff Notes version. David's leaving. David is at his lowest point. Um, him and his 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 valiant, his valiant men are with him, and they are walking out of Jerusalem, completely humbled, destroyed, because he has been dethroned. And all of a sudden, Shimei is there, and he begins to hurl curses towards David and also the people with him. Not only that, but he also throws stones at the king and his family. Now, what he did in, in chapter 16 is punishable by death. Um, I, I believe it's a Baishai who is with David who wants to go and kill him at that moment. He calls him a dog. Why are you letting this dog say these things to you and do these things to you? And David says, no, leave him alone. Perhaps the Lord has caused him to curse me. Uh, in essence, David is receiving and accepting what Shimei has to say because he is completely humbled by the situation. So 
David leaves, and I bet when he left, Shimei just, he was pretty proud of himself for standing up to David, for telling him like it is. Well, Absalom's defeated, now David's coming back. Now as David returned, we see that Shimei was one of the first to welcome him. In fact, scripture says that he rushed, not only him by himself, but uh, with, with a bunch of men from the house of Saul. Uh, they, they, a thousand men, they rushed to welcome David back. Now, what do you think is going on through Shimei's mind? Well, he knew he deserved death, but yet he rushed to David so that he would receive mercy. Now, there's another man who did wrong when David was leaving. Scripture mentions the man Ziba. Now, he's the one, again, as David is leaving Jerusalem, he comes up to David and he slanders his master, Mephibosheth. Now, Mephibosheth, several chapters before, was placed over Ziba um, because he was a descendant of Saul. And Ziba was a servant in Saul's household. So David brought Mephibosheth back. He was the one who was lame from his feet. He put Ziba underneath him, and Ziba was to serve Mephibosheth. Well, Ziba comes up to David and basically says that Mephibosheth is with Absalom now. And it crushed David to find out that information, and David gave Ziba all of Mephibosheth's inheritance. So when we see this happening, and now David's coming back, we're able to kind of determine motives here to, to a point. Obviously, we don't know the hearts of these men completely, but we can kind of see what's going on here. Both men were ashamed of their actions, and they should have been, and they were nervous that David might come back and seek vengeance. That's exactly what's going on here. They, they've, they've sinned against David. They've, they've sinned against others. They realize that the king is sovereign from a creaturely standpoint. So he has the power to take their life or to punish them severely. So they are running back to meet David so that they can have peace with him and they can gain mercy from him. Now, there is an allegiance that we see that they have, but we don't know their, that their allegiance with David is genuine. But David does something astonishing. David shows them mercy nonetheless. We have to take it that David was a decent judge of character. So it's not like he couldn't read between the lines here as to what was going on. Baishai even offered to kill Shimei again. Second time, he's like, no, 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 don't, don't let this guy, no, we need to kill him. Now, later, as Pastor Laramie mentioned uh, last week, later, Shimei is killed, but by Solomon. And it comes from the orders of David. That's, that's a whole different story. That's in 1 Kings. But here now, David is granting him mercy. Now, when we look at this situation, here's a question. Is it wrong for us to seek mercy from God? When, we known, we, when, when we've known we have sinned against him? The answer to that is no. Uh, if we look at Shimei, we look at Ziba here, and we're like, oh, these guys, I know this type of guy. I know this type of woman. I know this person. This has been done to me. I, I, I can see those type of people from a mile away. We're forgetting to remove the plank out of our own eye, right? Because we are Shimei when it comes to the Lord. But we are Ziba when it comes to the Lord. We have sinned against him. And 
And, and, and when we go to the cross, we, we don't go to the cross proud of our sin and yelling at the Lord. We go humbly to the cross and we are seeking mercy. We, we are going to the cross so that we would receive his grace, so that, so that he could lavish us with his love. We understand what we've done is wrong, but we go to the cross nonetheless, and he grants us mercy. See, like Shimei and Ziba, we deserve death, but yet we stand before God with our sin pardoned because he has been graceful to us. He has been merciful to us. Now, here's, here's the important part. When we come to the foot of the cross, when we have our plea for mercy, may our plea for mercy come from faith. And, and as we look at the cross and as we sit there and we think about what was done at the cross, let our plea for mercy come from faith and from a contrite heart, not a heart that is only fearful of what the Lord could do for us, but coming to the understanding that we put our Savior on that cross, that he died in our place. That's the lesson that we can learn from Shimei and Ziba, that we come to the cross humbly, that we follow him because he is good, and, 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 and he has granted us mercy. We're not running to him because we're just only afraid of him, because what he can do to us for our sin. We are coming to him because he is merciful, he is loving, and we find refuge in him. So then the next character that we see, or the next person that we see, that starts in verse 24, is Mephibosheth. I want to call him the humble one. Mephibosheth is a reminder that humbleness with godliness, it goes a really long way, and that's very rare to find. It really is. That, that's what starts so much divisions in churches and families is the fact that, that, that they are filled with prideful people and they don't know how to humble themselves. If we all learned a valuable lesson on humbleness, we wouldn't have all the division that we have. Now, since David had left, Mephibosheth had mourned the king and his family. He was unable to physically meet David on his way out because he was lame, but he had been deceived by Ziba. Ziba met the king, as we've already talked about, slandered Mephibosheth, said he had sided with Absalom. David, in turn, was not a good judge at the time. He did not seek Mephibosheth or, or did not seek uh, his side of the story. He only took Ziba's word for it. He gave Ziba all of Mephibosheth's inheritance and then just left. Well, now he's coming back and he sees Mephibosheth and he has a question for him. He says, why didn't you follow me? Why didn't you come with me? Truth was is that Mephibosheth had tried to go and meet David, but he couldn't. Ziba said, don't worry, I'll go and speak for both of us. And ever since David had left, he had been waiting for David's return, not because of what David could do for him, but because of what David had already done. See, he loved his king. And he was ecstatic at his return. The wonderful thing about Mephibosheth here is that he was ready to forsake all that he might receive the kingdom. 
Because even after he tells his side of the story, David says, hey, basically, I've heard enough. Don't worry, I'm just going to divide your inheritance. Uh, Don't fight anymore. I I don't really want to hear the rest of this story because I'm, I'm kind of tired of this, maybe. As parents, you can kind of understand that, right? And, and I'm just going to divide it. You share it. And Mephibosheth says, let him have it. Let him have it. I want you. I'm glad you're back. That means nothing to me. That's wasting away. I, I want you, my king. Yes, he loved his king. Committed to him. He was a, a humble man. And as we look at Mephibosheth, The application, or one application at least, is that our motive in worshiping the one true God should be humbleness. We should come to the Lord with a humble heart, knowing what we truly deserve, knowing what he has done for us. That should be enough for us to come and worship him. I'm reminded of the passage that Paul spoke of in Galatians 2.20, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What a beautiful passage. That, that passage, it, it's, it's in, my, in my memory. I, I will never forget about that passage because it's one, it's one of my favorites, but it's the passage that I was really focused on when uh, I was ordained as the pastor here at this church. At the time, I was the only pastor. God has been gracious to us to give us more. But whenever I was ordained, they asked me, what was, what's your favorite passage? And uh, right away, Galatians 2.20. Somebody uh, got it etched in a wooden plaque, and it sits in my office to this day. And if I think back to all those years ago when that happened, um, I, wish, I wish I could live this passage every day, but I fail all the time. Why? Because I, I, I struggle with humbleness, as we all do. There are times where I want to exalt myself, and I shouldn't. Let us learn a lesson from Mephibosheth here that when we, we, we seek God, we're, we're seeking him not the things that he can give us. He's already given us so much. If if we were to suffer for the rest of our lives, we should still be grateful because the Lord has been faithful to us. So I I look at Galatians 2.20, and that's that's my heart's cry, that that I recognize that I've been crucified with him and, and that I strive that the old me no longer lives, but, but the new me who is in Christ, he continues to live. And although I'm walking in the flesh, I, I pray that I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And then we come to Barzillai or Barzillai, heard it pronounced two different ways. I want to label him as the faithful one. Now, obviously, this starts in verse 31 all the way through 40. Now, Barzillai is a picture of faithfulness. Now, he's also a reminder of how the Lord rewards the faithful. Barzillai, he's, a, he's several examples to us. Like Mephibosheth, he was faithful, but he was faithful in a different way. 
uh, he was able to provide for David and his army whenever they were on the run from Absalom. And, and if you want to go back and, and look at that story, that's chapter 17, verses 27 through 29. It shows you how he came and he aided David. Now, he had shared his possessions with David, and although he was very rich, or a very wealthy man, Scripture tells us, he was also generous. Now, some will say, oh, well, it's easy for him to be generous because he's wealthy. Well, that's not always true. Generosity doesn't come from abundance. It comes from a grateful heart. That's why those who don't have much are able to share because they understand that much has been given to them. And then you run into some who have so much and they're not able to share because they think they've earned everything they've gotten. It comes from a humble heart. And so we see this wonderful character of of, of, uh, of Barzillai here, how he is wealthy, but yet he is generous. And with his actions, he represents the true spirit of friendship. And also he represents uh, the true spirit of stewardship. Those two are so important. Because we, we, we work to gather riches. We work to gather things. And we're like little kids. We're like mine, 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 mine. And we bring everything into ourselves, and we, we protect it. We get insurance on it. We get all kinds of stuff. We lock it away. We buy safes. We, we put it in secure places, and we want this thing to last forever. And all of a sudden, we die, and somebody else gets it. And, and somebody else who gets what we have protected all our lives, they don't think the same thing about what you have as you did. They, they, they don't see it as, as important. They may, something you may have cherished, they grab it and say, well, I can get so and so much money out of this, and it's gone into somebody else's hands. All the while, we could have blessed somebody because we had a surplus of something, but we've held it in, we've hoarded it, we've kept it to ourselves. And listen, this goes on within our friendships. We see people in need. Even in this church, we see people in need. We have the ability to help them, but we're still trying to, de to determine motives. We're, we're still trying to see if this is a wise investment for us. We haven't learned that God has given us much, not to keep it, not to hold it, but to give it, to help. That goes against the American spirit because the American spirit says, no, you have to work for everything you have. Yes, that is true. If somebody's being lazy, that's a different story. But sometimes people just have needs. Sometimes people just need help. And, and we need to have that spirit of friendship where it's like, hey, I'm going to help you in this time of your life. The Lord has blessed me. I am going to bless you. This is not mine, by the way. I'm just kind of holding it together until I need to give it back. This belongs to the Lord. It's such a beautiful thing to see Barzillai give to David. See the irony in that? David, who had all things, everything was stripped from him. 
There was no promise to Barzillai that he was going to get anything back. For all he knew, it looked bad. It looked Absalom was going to be the new king and David would die. He was given this away, not expecting anything in return. And then here comes the king marching back to Jerusalem. Now is Barzillai going up to him and saying, hey, David, remember when I, I helped you? Remember all now that you've come into money? Remember all that, the stuff I've given you? Remember I was there for you? It's, in fact, it's the opposite of what's happening here. See, his character showed him to be selfless. That's rare, to be selfless. When David returned, he wanted, David wanted to take him to Jerusalem, but Barzillai, we see he, he protested. Look at verse 34. He said to the king, how many years have I still to live that I should go with the king to Jerusalem? Scripture tells us that he was a very aged man, verse 32. He was 80 years old. So as the king invites him to go back, now Barzillai was a wealthy man, but there is a, a millionaire wealthy and then there's a billionaire wealthy. They're two totally different things. David would be the billionaire wealthy. Okay, so there are some things that Barzillai wouldn't be able to even obtain that David had. And so David's inviting him to come with him. He's going to be his guest. He's going to be his guest of honor for the rest of his life in the kingdom, in the palace. Barzillai said, no, I, I'm, I'm not going to do that. And it's almost as if that's not why I helped you. I, I can almost see that. I, that. That's not why I helped you, David. I, I didn't help you so that you would later come and bless me and help me. I, I helped you because it was the right thing to do. And although Barzillai was too old to enjoy the blessings of the palace, because that's exactly what, what, what David promised him, or not, maybe not even David promised him, but that's when Barzillai responded to David, th this is what he says. Uh, look at verse 35. Uh, he says, starting verse 34, but Barzillai said to the king, how many years have I still to live that I shall go up with the king to Jerusalem? Look at verse 35. I am this day 80 years old. Can I discern what is pleasant and what is not? Can your servant taste what he eats or what he drinks? Can I still listen to the voice of singing men and singing women? What is he talking about there? He's talking about all the benefits of the palace. Barzillai knows, if I go with David, I am going to have, um, I, things are going to be pleasant. Anything I want pleasant is going to be given to me. Uh, I'm going to eat the best food. I'm going to drink the best wine. I'm going I'm to sit there. I'm going to listen to the best singing. I'm going to have this entertainment. Everything I'm going to receive is the best. Now, someone who's 80 years old, they might have signed that check, right? To be taken care of for the rest of their lives. What a way to go out. To have anything and everything you want at the snap of your fingers, it's brought to you. At an age like that, that's very helpful. It's very useful. But what I find astonishing about Barzillai is that he says, no, I, I listen, all that is past me. I, I, my goal is just to die in peace where I'm from. I want to be buried to, next to my father and my mother. God has blessed me so much. I just want to live in peace. But instead, instead, David, instead of me going and enjoying all this, can you 
take somebody else? Can you take a, a, a servant of mine? Some believe that, uh, that Kimchem was actually Barzillai's son. But he says, look, all that is, is too much for me. I can't enjoy it. I want somebody else to enjoy it. As I look at Barzillai, he's a reminder to us. As Christians, we should look closely at the actions of him. He reminds us to do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit. But rather, in humility, we are to count others more important than ourselves. The Bible tells us, let us not look only, or let us look not only to our own interests, but also to the interests of others. That's Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 to 4. Now, very popular passage, we, we, we all know it. That's something that we remember, but so hard to follow. So hard to follow. When it comes to riches, when it comes to giving of what God has given you, um, it becomes extremely evident if we have an idol issue. That's one of those areas where it just becomes extremely evident. Now, in order to accept that you have an idol issue when it comes to possessions and money, you have to look at it with a humble heart, right? You have to humble yourselves before the Lord and realize, like, hey, I have this blind spot. Not only this one, but I have this one, I have this one, I have this one, and I have this one. Lord, help me. Help me with my blind spot. And then the last set of people who come and speak to David are the Israelites, and I want to label these the selfish ones. We see them in verses 41 through 43. Uh, they're the last example for us today, and they are divided into two camps, the tribe of Judah and then the rest of Israel. Now, something to understand here is that within the year that David was gone, because when Absalom had come in, he left, there was about a year's time before he's coming back now. We have to understand that all these men right now who are fighting over David, that they had joined the rebellion of Absalom. They had betrayed David, so to speak. So as soon as Absalom comes in, they join with him. They actually go and fight against David. David defeats them. They all retreat back. Now they're hearing that David comes back. In fact, it's kind of, their, they think it's their idea. They said, hey, you know what? David was good to us. Why don't we bring him back? And so David's coming back, and, and, and now they're selfishly fighting over who wanted him back more. The, 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 the tribe of Judah goes and grabs David and they want to usher him into the, back into the city and then the other Israelites were like, oh, wait, wait a second, why do you get to usher him back? And they said, well, we're his family, we're his, we're his clan, he, he belongs to us. They're like, no, 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 he's our king too. We've loved him, loved him so much that they betrayed him. And they're sitting there and they're, they're, they're fighting over David. Their allegiance seemed to be with ever, with whomever, excuse me, with whoever was in charge. That's who their allegiance with. Whoever was going to be over them. It was like, okay, yeah, the other person was good to me, but now you're in charge, so I'm going to follow you. You're in charge, so I'm going to follow you. And it goes so on and so on. And that's what we're seeing here. Their concern for David and their praises towards him seemed to be an effort to save their own necks. 
Now listen, as an application here, this is something that we need to understand. If we will not follow Christ to the grave, then we will have no portion with him in the resurrection. Plain and simple. We, we, we cannot follow Christ out of convenience. And persecution has a way of purging that out of us. Because there are so many who follow Christ out of convenience. It's like, I, I follow him because I expect much from him. Uh, people say, or the Bible says he's sovereign. That means he can give me what I want. And, and then persecution happens and we're trying to figure out what's going on. And then our allegiance changes with something else that we think is greater than God. We will not follow Christ to the grave. We have no portion with him in the resurrection. That is a gospel truth. In other words, if we don't follow Christ in the bad and the good and the ugly, how can we expect to have any true allegiance with him? He is our shepherd on the mountaintops and through the valley of the shadow of death. Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 6. Listen to his words, verses 1 through 4. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. That's great stuff. I, I honestly expected y'all to a little bit, be a little bit more excited about it, but it's okay. I'm excited about it. Maybe it'll hit you later. That's great stuff. There is no promises of riches. There is no promises of complete overall peace. There's no promises of, of, of not having any struggle, any pain, nothing like that. The only promise there is is that we are his and he is ours. That's it. Come to the conclusion of it all. We learn something different from each individual in this passage. But we can't just leave it there. There is something more important for us to see collectively. And we put everybody together. We learn that we worship a God who searches our hearts. See, when we put all these people together, they can represent, as an application, they can represent the motives people have for following Christ. Some, and, and, and we all fit into one of these categories or something else that was not covered. But some are ashamed of what they've done to him. Who's that sound like? Shimei and Ziba. They're ashamed of what they've done to him. And they seek peace from his vengeance. They're afraid. They, they see the, the, the warning in scripture and, and, and they're afraid to face his wrath and his judgment. Now some, like Mephibosheth, are humbled 
by what he has done for them. And they seek to be his servants forever. Some are faithful, like Barzillai. They are faithful to him because they know he is Lord and King. And some are like the people of Judah and the rest of the Israelites. They seek him selfishly to get something from him. All this reminds me of what happened in the gospel. In the gospel, as Jesus approached Jerusalem, it's pretty cool to go back and look at the similarities there are of David going back to Jerusalem and Jesus on the way to the cross going into Jerusalem. It's really amazing. And so in the Gospels, as Jesus is going into Jerusalem to face the cross, many worshiped him. And they all, for all different reasons, Mark chapter 11, verses 7 through 10. This is called the triumphal entry. Mark chapter 11, verses 7 through 10. It says that they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road. And others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Beautiful picture, Jesus coming to Jerusalem. People are just... They're throwing things on the ground. And they're worshiping. They're, 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 they're looking at him. And it's like, yes, our king is back. And it's this picture of David kind of coming back as well. And, and, and then you see all the different reasons why people are worshiping. Some worshiped him. Some who worshiped him would soon desert him. Even his closest followers. Some who worshipped him that day would betray him. Some, some who were yelling, Hosanna, blesses he who comes in the name of the Lord, would later yell, crucify him, crucify him. But some, some, very few, would remain faithful until the end. I think that's important for us. We were coming up to Easter, and the triumphal entry starts the, 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 week, of the, the week of the Passion. I, I love God's providence in that it always seems that the scripture that we are to preach on fits perfectly with what's going on. ask you, come back to the question that I asked you in the beginning. What are your motives for following Christ? I see you here every Sunday, in and out. Most of you are very loyal. You come, you worship, 
leave. Looks like you're doing it from a pure heart. You look at me and you assume the same of me, I hope. That I'm sitting here or I'm standing here preaching from good motives. That I'm here week in, week out, day in, day out. Helping to shepherd this church out of good motives. But you're here all the time. Why are you here? Why do you serve? Why do you stick around? What are your motives for following him? See, the only good motive is because he is good and he is God. It, it, it all comes down from there. We worship him because he is good and he is God. That's it. It's not based on what he can give us. It's not only based on what he has given us. It's not based on anything the pastor says about him. We recognize he is truly holy. He is truly good. He is God. He has created us. The Bible says, for great is the Lord and Greatly to be prayed, he is to be feared above all gods, for all the gods of the people are worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. He is good and he is God. That should be our motive. Listen, our motives matter. And although we cannot see each other's motives clearly, not all the time, our motives are laid before God. He knows and searches our heart. And the Bible tells us and even warns us over and over and over, only the pure in spirit will be approved by him. Yes, motives matter. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we didn't, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? And do many mighty works in your name? Then I will declare to them, never knew you, depart from me. Friends, sin is lawlessness. I think that's a really important question to ask ourselves. Why do we follow Christ? The answer should be, he is good, he is God. The greatest miracle we can have, we're looking for signs all the time, the greatest miracle, the greatest sign that we can have is basically broken down into two things. To be known by God, to truly know him. If we are blessed with that, then we should freely worship him with everything that we have. Nothing in your life is off limits. And you're not doing it to gain anything from him. You're doing it because he is good and he is God.
I know we believe that, but we ask the Lord to help us with our unbelief. Let us pray.